Oh, I know, it's going to be a barrel of laughs, this talk, don't worry. <laughs> so much fun. I know what you're thinking, shame again. Oh, come on. I swear Adam covered this already. Do we have to do that again? You know we're British, right? This is not our subject. Can we do the Elijah series again? Is that all right? We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> and I get it. It's not the most fun thing to talk about. But shame is so destructive, and it's so disconnecting, and so many of us don't even realize the extent to which our identity is governed by it. I think it's something the Holy Spirit is, is making, aware of us, uh, making us aware of at the moment. A few weeks ago, Adam spoke on how Jesus drew the identity of the woman of the well out of a place of shame and into a place of confidence in God. That face-to-face -face with Jesus and hearing his truth changed her perspective. Her identity went from failure to rooted in Christ. And Christian, not long ago, touched on how the narrative of Jesus' redemption has largely been Jesus forgives you for your guilt. But we now live in a culture that also needs to know that God honors them in their place of shame. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to get to understand shame, to become aware of the sneaky identity from the enemy and how it disconnects us from our identity, like it did for Leia in our story. Because shame is the enemy of intimacy and connection. And prayer is a place of intimate connection with God. God is inviting us into an open and honest conversation that can literally transform the very core of our being. But we've got to be courageous enough to be vulnerable and hungry enough to pursue it. There's a fantastic psychologist called Brenny Brown. She's a qualitative researcher, and she's been studying shame and vulnerability uh, for the last sort of 14 years ago, uh, 14 years or so. She was running a piece of research on connection, and about six weeks into it, she discovered this thing that just absolutely unraveled connection in a way she'd never, ever seen, and it was shame. She described shame as the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if people saw would make me unworthy of connection? It's a, a universal fear. We've all felt it. We've all thought this. There's something inside me. If, if people saw what I'd done, if they saw how I'd failed, if they really knew me, there's no, there's no way they'd love me. And right at the start of the story of humanity, we see how shame took hold of us. In Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They had nothing to hide. They walked and talked with God and he defined them. His voice was the only voice in their lives. There was no part of them that was disconnected from God. But then the enemy's voice came in. And they listened, they listened to the lies and they disobeyed God. And it says the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What was the first thing they did when they messed up? They hid. And when God calls out to them, where are you? Adam replies, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Or in other words, you came for intimacy with me to walk and talk in the way we've always walked and talked, but I've messed up. I am not worthy of that intimacy anymore. You can't look at me right now. And God says, who told you you were naked? He's asking, who, who's convinced you of this lie that you've got anything to hide from me? Have you been letting another voice define you? Because my voice calls you into intimacy, but you're, you're hiding in shame. And we all respond to the shame in different ways. Maybe you want to run, but you've got nowhere to go. So you just escape in any way you can. Uh, food, Netflix, drinking, something else. Maybe you want to hide, but nowhere's safe. So you just check out and disengage that part of yourself in relationship. Maybe you come out swinging. The shame wells up inside you and you take it out on those closest to you. Sometimes shame is born out of comparison. That person is way better looking than me. They have so many more likes on that photo. I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not up to that standard. I'm not worthy of love if I look like this. Maybe it's, I never read my Bible. I hardly ever pray. I'm supposed to be Christian and I'm no good at this. God cannot love me. He must be so annoyed. 
Maybe you feel like you should always be in control. Shame comes when you fail to keep control of something in your life. Or maybe the shame comes from the feeling that you're letting other people have control over you. And the very fact that you've let yourself believe that you're not good enough makes you believe that you'll never be good enough and the lie continues to spiral. For some of us, shame comes from a sense of perfectionism. I've not done enough work. I'm not going to do as well as people expect me to. I'm worthless if I'm not successful. Or maybe it comes from a feeling of apathy. A lie that says, what's the point? What's the point of being bothered? I'm, I'm no good anyway. And I'd like to point out that these things aren't sins in themselves. Perfectionism, for example, isn't a sin in itself. High standards can be fantastic, but it can become deformed and manipulated by shame. And that's when it ties itself unhealthily to our identity. Because sometimes shame stems from an individual choice to give into it. But shame has also found its way into the narrative of our culture, as Adam looked at in his talk. You may have had shame spoken over you from a really young age by bullies or advertisements or even your own parents or family members. Shame has also become a social problem. And I, don't, I t- definitely don't stand up here perfect, having defeated this. For my shame, uh, for myself, shame often shows itself in, in that perfectionism. I have an unrealistic standard of excellence I set myself. I've got to be the best at every single thing I do. I've got to stand out, have a purpose, make a mark on life. I need to add something to humanity and Christianity and the world around me. And when I don't reach that standard, or worse, I feel like I've left those in my community uh, or those around me worse off because of my involvement, I'm often <laughs> subject to the voice of shame. I feel unworthy, and I just don't see any point in me being in a relationship with others. I have no value. Now, most of you out there are thinking, Dan, that's an insane standard. <laughs> give yourself, it, give yourself a break. Come on down. You love who you are. Your identity doesn't lie in your failure or your successes. And yeah, you're right. Because when the voice of shame is brought into the light, it loses all its power. Shame is only powerful in isolation. That's where the enemy wants you. And, that's, and if any one of us came up here and spoke out our shame story, I'm pretty sure the general consensus wouldn't be, yeah, you should feel ashamed. No, you're not worthy of connection. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'd all applaud the courage. Shame convinces us that our vulnerability is weakness, and it's so far from the truth. So how do we stop this voice of shame defining us? Well, in Brenny Brown's studies of shame, she discovered that the antidote to shame was courageous vulnerability. That in order for a real connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, and I mean really seen. When she looked at these people who had a strong sense of worthiness, worthiness of love and belonging, she found that they embraced the idea that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. Not that it was comfortable, nor was it excruciating to be vulnerable, just that vulnerability was necessary. It was necessary for connection and relationship. And Brenny uses this word courage a lot when it comes to vulnerability, and that's because vulnerability genuinely is courageous. The word courage actually comes from the Latin word core, which means heart. And so the original definition of courage is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. True vulnerability is courageous. Coming before God in prayer, coming to talk to our holy God when we feel ashamed of all our rubbish and unholiness is courageous. It took courage for Leah from our story to make that journey up to the workshop and walk in. Jesus tells uh, this parable of the prodigal son, a story where a young man takes his inheritance before his father died. He loses it all, and he decides to return home to his father as a slave, but is welcomed back as a son. In that story, it took courage for the son to get up and go home. He was literally covered in rubbish. He would have been living with pigs, and he would have been covered in their food and their muck. He didn't come to the father perfect. 
In fact, he came home and met. He had a completely wrong view of his identity. He came home thinking he was going to be a slave. But he was courageously vulnerable. He didn't hide anything. He faced the father in all his mess. And the father spoke love over him. Because this is the difference between our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. There is always a risk that our vulnerability before others will result in rejection. We've all experienced it in one form or another, showing some messed up part of ourselves to someone else, only for them to respond insensitively or worse, reject us. And it often reinforces the lie of shame and keeps us disconnected. But when we come to pray, we don't come face to face with an imperfect human. We come face to face with love himself. We come face to face with a God who understands us completely, forgives us completely, and loves us completely in spite of all our mess. Leah didn't understand how someone could love her with all that shame she carried. And that's because the voice she'd had speaking over her all her life and the voice she'd had define her was shame, was unworthiness. But Eli the carpenter saw beyond that because he made her. God knows who we are because he made us. And who better to tell you your identity than the one who made you? And this is a God that's so much more passionate about this relationship than we ever will be. This is a God that sent his son to endure the cross to scorn its shame. Jesus was humiliated. He took all that shame on the cross and he took it as far from us as the east is from the west. And when he died, the veil of the temple, it says, was torn. The veil that separated unholy man from holy God was torn in two so we could come close and have a face-to-face relationship with our heavenly father. Not because of anything we'd done, just because God loves us. And now it says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says in the Bible that we're seated in heavenly places with him. He's done all the hard work and he's calling us up to heaven to have a chat, to get to know him. Max Licardo, who is the author of the book uh, called You Are Special, which is the story, which is um, actually what the story we, um, we read earlier was based on. Thank you to Misha, by the way, for your amazing help in, um, in sort of um, changing that into a bit of a different story. Um, he, had this, he has this quote. He says, prayer is a simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his child. And when it comes down to it, it's as simple as that. Our father wants to chat all the time, every day, no matter what, no matter how we've done, what we've done or how we feel. But this is the most transformative chat you'll ever have. Because in this conversation, we come face to face with a God who knows us far better than we know ourselves. When our identities get lost in the tangle of shame, and the voice we hear most often is one of unworthiness. It's in that place that prayer, in that place of prayer that God can speak his truth over us. When his voice of truth can become louder than that shame of fear and it can start to transform us. You guys ever heard of um, seasonal affective disorder? It's a type of seasonal depression that occurs when the weather's bad. And now this is, this is a serious thing, and I know, <laughs> but I am one to over-exaggeration. If you haven't noticed before, I can experience a lot of things in extremes. Um, and I often feel like I have this condition. <laughs> when, <laughs> because when the winter comes, I just want to sleep. It's just dark outside. I go to work in the dark, go home in the dark. I'm like, it's dark. I, I can't be bothered. Uh, and then the sun comes out. Rarely. It's already gone away again. That's all two days of summer gone for England. Um, but when it does, it hits my face. And it completely transforms me. It transforms my mood, my posture, my outlook on life. Just the sun. And for me, this is a glimpse of what it's like to come face to face with our creator in conversation. In Psalm 34, David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who looked to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those are some big statements. That if we seek God in prayer, he will deliver us from our fears. That by looking to him, we'll be radiant. And our faces will never be covered with shame. And it's, but it's true. As we get to know God in conversation, as we allow him to speak loudest in our minds, we are so transformed by that, that our entire countenance, countenance meaning like what we give off, our expression in our lives, is going to radiate the beauty and the glory of God. And the thing is, when we get to know God in conversation, it's, it's when we get to best, best get to know ourselves. It's like that song we often sing. Take a moment, we often sing it at the 6.30, you know. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. Okay, I thought you were going to come in after this. <laughs> but that's, that's the order it happens in. You get to know God and you get to know ourselves. Because in any relationship, as in any relationship, this conversation is two-way. And as we speak vulnerably to God, we also listen to him speak through the Bible, through the imagination he's given us, through the reason he's given us, through the peace of the Holy Spirit, through revelation and wisdom, we get to realize how amazing God is. And it will permeate our identity. Because when we understand who we are, we, sorry, because we understand who we are, when we understand who God is, we can start to get to know what it means to be a child of God when we start to actually know who our Father is. We can start to understand what it means to be made in the image of God because we're looking at God's image. We can realize what it means to be peaceful because of the deep peace we've experienced in his presence. We know what it looks like to be strong and courageous and holy because we're looking at a God who is the perfect example of all these things. And we are made to be like him. Tim Keller says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. And it's also the main way we experience deep change. It is impossible to genuinely face God in prayer and not be transformed. So I was chatting to a very wise friend about this, and he put this whole idea into a simple question, which I really loved. He asked, what are you going to let be your familiar voice? Because if the voice we give most value to is that of, that of comparison and perfectionism and worry, if we're letting the voice of shame have the right to monologue through our minds, then that will become our familiar voice. And when truth comes along, it will be hard to hear because we're not used to hearing it. But if we're in constant conversation with God then his voice becomes our familiar voice. And then when the enemy comes with these lies and, and makes us feel ashamed, we'll notice. We'll think to ourselves, well, that's not the voice I'm used to hearing. This isn't the sort of thing I have going through my mind all the time. This has got to be a lie. I know, I'm, I know who my God is and I know I'm his child, so this is definitely a lie. But for something to become familiar, it takes hunger. It takes a willingness and a desire to invest. And my question is, are we, are we hungry enough to keep pursuing that relationship in that conversation? To keep valuing God's voice in our lives enough to seek it daily? We live in an instant culture. We used to get in everything when we want to. But being transformed takes time. And we forget. It's human to forget. In Psalm 103, King David, a man who sought relationship with God to such an extent, he was called a man after God's heart, cried out, praise the Lord my soul and forget all his benefits. This is King David. Even he knew he could forget God's goodness and with it his own identity if he didn't invest in that relationship. But you know what? The beautiful thing is the pressure's off. 
because both the courage to be vulnerable before God and the hunger to keep seeking the relationship with him come from him. We can pray like David, don't let me forget who I am, God. Help me to be hungry for this relationship. And we can pray, God, I'm scared to show you all my failure. Um, Help me to be courageous and to come before you in true vulnerability so you can transform me. So this is my challenge for us. Are we willing to be courageously vulnerable? To trust that God will love us no matter what we've done or or how we've messed up? And are, are we hungry? Do we want to invest in a regular conversation with God that promises to transform the very nature of who we are and how we see ourselves? Because just imagine, just imagine with me for a second, what would a GT without shame look like? Just think in your minds, imagine if you walked through these doors and there was just no shame. A GT where we were so infatuated with God because we spent so much of our time facing him where individually and collectively our identity was so completely based on the truth that we saturated ourselves in every day in the presence of God that shame was never found on our faces. I think we'd be the most welcoming and loving church ever because shame wouldn't distort the way we saw others and our relationships with others so we could love them for who they truly were. I'm pretty sure we'd worship incredibly freely <laughs> if we had no shame, like David does in the Bible. Because if we only cared what God thought about us, then we'd have no problem making a fool of ourselves in front of other people. Because our passion for God would far outweigh that. We'd definitely be the best evangelists ever. (laughs) Because we'd just be facing a God that's incredible, and we'd have no shame in front of people, so we'd be going out the whole time and telling the world. We'd be incredibly creative, because shame would never convince us that our failure is weakness. And so we'd be free to try and fail and eventually succeed, because neither the failure nor the success defined who we were. And we'd know our identity. We'd walk in confidence and authority as children of God, and we'd also walk in humility and gentleness because we'd understand the depth of grace and mercy that had been shown to us. And that may seem a long way off. And it is impossible in our own strength. There is no meeting, there is no plan, there is nothing we can do together to make that eventuality happen. But it's not our strength that's doing it. Because in facing God in prayer, he will transform very core of our being, individually and collectively. And everything I just said will be the natural overflow of being in his presence and becoming transformed by him. 